true. Many things about tomorrow we don't understand. But praise the Lord that he is still in control, that he is still on his throne, and that he knows tomorrow and the next day and the day after that and the day after that, all days throughout eternity. And praise the Lord that he is God. This morning, we are going to be looking at a passage from 2 Kings chapter 4. So I'd invite you to turn with me at this time to 2 Kings chapter 4. Uh, for those that may be joining us just today, we have been looking through the life of the prophet Elisha and how his life often corresponds with that of the true servant of God. And we've looked at some of his miracles, and today we come to another miracle that God worked through the prophet Elisha in a passage that we'll be looking at, which begins at verse 38 of 2 Kings chapter number 4 and runs through verse number 41. And I've titled the message this morning, God's Providence. I, there are times where as I'm preparing a message that God will give me a really catchy title. And there are times where I struggle to come up with a title. And as I'm, as I'm typing away, because I, I type up my messages, and because I've had a couple instances where the computer crashed as I'm in the middle of typing and I've lost everything, I save my message almost at the end of every sentence, just to, just to give me a little bit of peace. And in order for you to save it, I have to have a title. I have to save it under a specific name. And I struggled mightily to have a title for this morning's message. And I got to a point where I, I needed to shut the computer down, and I needed to go to bed, and I thought, I need to save this somehow. So, Lord, just give me something. And first two words that came to mind were God's providence. So I said, okay, I'm going to save it under this. If I need to change a name later, I'll change a name. And as I went through this, I thought, you know what? This is exactly the way that this should be, God's providence. So maybe you're thinking, well, it's kind of vague. Bear with me. Bear with me. 2 Kings chapter 4, in a moment we'll read verses 38 to 41. But as, as I was thinking about this and the life of Elisha, it's amazing to consider how much the Lord spares us from each day. Often we don't ever realize what the Lord has spared us from. But if we do, maybe we find out later than that day or the next day what the Lord spared us from the previous day. It brings great relief. We've heard stories about how people were delayed on their way to work in the morning only to later find out that there was a tragic accident on their regular drive into work that they, would have, that they avoided and only because they were late. Had they left on time, they could have been part of a 10-car pileup. We heard many stories similar to this around September 11th. And as unfortunate as it was that many people died that day, we're thankful for those whom God spared. And the truth is that if you're alive and you are well this morning, it is only because of God's grace and mercy. We're told in Lamentations chapter 3, very familiar verses, verses 22 and 23, it says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We woke up today 
because God allowed us to wake up today. And everything that we're able to do is done because God. God, in his great and infinite mercy, has allowed us the power and the strength to do what we're going to do. He would be completely justified if at any moment he removed his hand of mercy and would deal with us according to what our sins deserve. But instead, what we read about is that God's mercies are renewed every single morning. But even more than showing mercy in allowing us to live, what we see is that God often protects us from dangers that we may not necessarily even realize. Does anyone else find it incredible that God would be merciful enough to allow us to live who don't deserve to live, as well as shelter and protect us from danger while we're alive? It's amazing when you stop and think about it. Lamentation says it's only because of the Lord's mercies that we're here today. It's only because of the Lord's mercy, which has been extended day after day, that we're not consumed, the Bible says. So you're alive, you're able to be here today only by the grace of God, which has been extended and offered through mercy as well. And so he's not just doing that, allowing you to be here, but he's also sheltering and protecting you. So none of us deserve to be here, but through God's mercy, we're here. And often we're spared throughout the rigors of life by the protective hand of God. It's incredible. Much of the time that the trouble that we get ourselves into is something that we get ourselves into. It's self-induced. And God's hand of protection is often there when we need him. To sum up, God mercifully spares and protects those who don't deserve it. It's incredible to think about how amazing our God is. And what makes it even better is that this is his routine day after day. Day after day. God's mercies are new every morning. God's protection is seen every day. And as incredible as that is, it's not something that we usually think about when we wake up in the morning, is it? We've lived under the blanket of God's mercy and protection for as long as we've been alive. So much so that we've come to expect it the longer that we live. How many of you woke up this morning, and, and be honest, how many of you woke up this morning, that's not where the sentence ends, how many of you woke up this morning? So some of you are going to think about that tomorrow and get it. Oh, yeah, I woke up. How many of you woke up this morning and wondered whether or not the sun was going to rise? Wondered what? Dr. Cowie, you wondered whether or not the sun was going to rise this morning? When? Okay, okay. That's not what I asked. Did you wonder whether or not the sun was going to rise? Take it back, okay. Other than Dr. Cowie, none of us wondered whether or not the sun was going to rise. Why is that? Why is that? How come no one wondered whether or not the sun was going to rise this morning? God's mercies? It rises every day. It rises every day. We get conditioned to expect certain blessings to be present that we fail to consider them blessings. The truth is that there is so much evil out in the world today, we don't even realize the half of what the Lord spares us from. As we turn our attention to the eighth miracle 
here in the life of Elijah, we will see some practical applications as well as some spiritual lessons as we catch a glimpse, just a tiny little glimpse, into the evils and the dangers that are in this present world. So your Bibles are open to 2 Kings chapter 4. Would you listen as we read through verse, from verse 38 down to verse number 41? 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning with verse number 38. And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said unto his servant, Set on the great pot, and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went into the field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine, and gathered thereof wild gourds his lapful, and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. So they poured out for the men to eat, and it came to pass, as they were eating of the pottage, that they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. But he said, Then bring meal. And he cast it into the pot, and he said, Pour out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. The Lord has just used the prophet Elisha to raise the Shunammite son. This is the previous passage. And now our passage here this morning records Elisha, who was now returned to Gilgal. Now, the scene before us shows Elisha teaching the sons of the prophets there at Gilgal. Gilgal. It was believed that there were probably schools of the prophets that were probably started under the ministry of Elijah, and Elisha, who picked up the mantle of Elijah, continued on teaching the sons of the prophets, and there were probably different schools in the different cities. And here he is in Gilgal teaching the sons of the prophets, and at the close of one of their meetings, he instructs his servants to go and make a meal for them. And as much as he was concerned about the spiritual needs of all those that were learning, he also is concerned about them physically. Something can be said about a good luncheon every once in a while, right? Some of you are thinking about food right now. While it's important for us to be filled spiritually, we can't also overlook the physical needs that we have. What I love about this instance is that Elisha seems to wait, though, until the end of their meeting to tend to their physical needs. And it just so happens that this was all taking place while the Bible says there is a dearth in the land. There is a famine in the land. Food was scarce. People were starving. And Elisha makes them wait before feeding them because he wanted to give them first what was really important. I'm going to be honest with you and maybe strike a chord with some of you and hit some nerves. Maybe you're feeling like I'm attacking you and that maybe the Holy Spirit convicting. But it bothers some people that I can be long-winded. And I can tell. Some of you... I don't even have to read your faces because you're kind enough to tell me. <laughs> Bruce, you were laughing kind of loud there. <laughs> Let me tell you something. It doesn't bother me one bit. The Lord didn't call me to preach his word and to try and squeeze it in a specific time frame. He just called me to preach his word. There are some days where I'll preach longer than other days. And I assure you that it is not for the purpose of causing you to be here any longer, to miss out on some lunch reservations that you have. 
but it's because the Lord has put a message on my lips that happens to be a little bit longer than the one last week. And if the sons of the prophets here in 2 Kings chapter 4 could sit and they could listen to the man of God without complaining, without murmuring, without telling him that he spoke too long, all during a time when food was scarce and they're hungry and their stomachs are probably grumbling the entire time, I think that we'll be fine sitting in comfy padded chairs in an air-conditioned sanctuary knowing that we've probably eaten breakfast already and that we have plenty of food that is waiting for us at home for lunch when we get there. The sons of the prophets, they came to hear the word of God from the man of God. They didn't come to listen to him for 30 minutes and then leave. They came to hear from the man of God for as long as the man of God spoke because they understood that whatever he had to say to them was directly from God and who can put a time limit on what God has to say to us. Do you come to church to hear from God or do you come to church to sit for an hour and 15 minutes? Yes, Elisha cared for the physical needs of these men, but he cared for their spiritual needs more and he taught them about God before they even thought about breaking bread together. I care about your physical needs. I don't want you to think that I don't. And that is why I will visit your homes that is why if you're in the hospital, I'll visit you in the hospital. That is why if you're in a rehab facility, I'll visit you in a rehab facility. But you know what? I care so much more about your spiritual needs than your physical needs. You know why? Because God didn't call me to be a doctor. He called me to preach his word and to feed his flock. And that's what I'm most concerned with, feeding God's flock, as was Elisha. As Elisha instructs that food be prepared, I want you to notice that something goes wrong, though. Something goes wrong. The one who went out to gather herbs for this stew that was being made accidentally gathered some poisonous plants. Not knowing what he had done, all of this is just added right into the pot. It wasn't until the stew was poured out for everyone to eat that they discovered that something poisonous was in there. It says the, the men cried out, Oh, thou man of God, there is death in the pot. I feel like this would be said if, if I ever tried to make some stew. There's death in the pot. Isn't it interesting how little we realize the many different ways we are troubled and how constantly we're in need of God's help and God's protection. These men didn't realize that there was anything wrong until they started eating. Everything looked fine. Everything looked normal. It probably even smelled good. But it was poisonous. How often do we get ourselves into trouble without seeing the trouble coming? Even if it's right in front of our faces. That's one of the reasons we get into trouble because it never looks like trouble, right? In many instances, it looks good. It may even look appealing to us, much like the stew that these men ate several years ago. I found that I developed a lactose intolerance. And that forced me to look at food that I loved as being poisonous. Milk, cheese, ice cream, all foods that I loved were turning on me. And I'm forced to look, up, look on them in, in frustration. If I eat something that I shouldn't, I find myself crying out, there's death on the plate. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, of course, I don't do that. But there are some times where you can't tell 
that something was made with dairy until it's too late. I wish God would have given me a, a fish intolerance because I, I can't stand fish. I never could stand fish. Why did he have to give me an intolerance for the food that I love the most? <sighs> but it's true that we can't always tell just by looking at something that it is bad. How many of you, show of hands, have ever gotten poison ivy? Majority of you that are in this room have gotten poison ivy. How many of you have been hiking, maybe been on a nature walk, and have noticed wild berries? Maybe you have some growing in your backyard. How many of you have ever been poked by a pricker bush or poked by a thorn on a rose bush before? Everybody, right? How many of you have gone and done it intentionally? Right? No one. No hands go up. Back when Adam and Eve sinned, God pronounced a curse, not just upon man, but also upon the earth. And I want you to listen to what it says in Genesis 3.17. It says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Notice what he says. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. The earth is cursed as well. No part of creation escaped the punishment of God, and we see that almost everywhere that we look. There are beautiful plants that are incredibly poisonous. Wild berries that may look delicious can be extremely dangerous. As bad and poisonous as parts of creation are, God has mercifully provided plenty of protection against such evils. God has provided animals with the instincts to avoid certain plants and certain berries out in the wild which could harm them. God has given them enough intelligence to see with their eyes and to identify what is poisonous or smell with their noses or hear with their ears or taste with their tongues so that they can avoid that which is harmful and may even kill them. And as much as God has equipped animals with instincts that are detecting that which is harmful and that which is good, he has done the same for even the crown of his creation, human beings. God has given us instincts to detect that which is good and that which is harmful in the physical world, but you know what? He's also done that for us in the religious, in the spiritual world as well. There is much out in the world that is being passed off for spiritual food that is unwholesome and poisonous to us. There are many wild vines and gourds that are being mixed together to make something that looks good for the purpose of poisoning all those that consume it. Listen to how we're warned of such in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 15 through 18. 2 Timothy 2, 15 through 18, the Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as does a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. False doctrine was being spread by heretics way back in that day, and it is only increased to where we are here in 2023. 
But just as much as God has given animals the intelligence to be able to discern between that which is good and harmful to them, so has he graciously done for us as well. In Hebrews 5, verse 14, it tells us that God has equipped believers with spiritual senses to be exercised, it says, both to discern good and evil. God has equipped us to discern between good and evil. In John chapter 10, where Jesus taught that he is the good shepherd, he said in verse number 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And previously, in verse number 5, he said this in John 10. He said, And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. God has graciously provided believers with spiritual senses whereby we can discern harmful things, but he has also provided a remedy against that which harms us. If there are poisonous herbs, God has also made the, uh, those plants which offer healing and counteract the effect of that which is poisonous. Back when the nation of Israel had escaped the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt, they had passed through the parted Red Sea on dry ground, they came upon the waters of Marah. In Exodus chapter 15. Do you all remember this account? Right after they had passed through the dry ground of the Red Sea and God brought the waters back and consumed Pharaoh and his host, they were rejoicing, they were celebrating, they were praising how good their God was. And three days later, they're murmuring, they're complaining, and they're arguing against what God has done, bringing them out here in the wilderness just to die because they had no water. And then they showed up to a place that had water. Finally. They're going to quench their thirst. Finally, they're going to get a little relief out in the middle of the wilderness. Oh, but wait. The water's undrinkable. The water was bitter. And so now they're even more upset with God. And they're complaining to Moses. Their songs of celebration for God's deliverance quickly change into the murmuring and complaining, but the situation that seemed hopeless changed. The Bible says when God showed Moses a tree. God showed Moses a tree that when it was cut down and thrown into the waters of Marah, it says the water was made sweet. The Bible begins in a garden with a specific tree. The eating of whose fruit would bring death upon the entire human race. And before the precious book is closed, we read about another tree in Revelation 22 and verse number 2, the leaves of which, we're told, are for the healing of the nations. You think this is by coincidence? This fact remains true, that God has provided a remedy, both in the physical realm as well as in the spiritual realm. For every, re for every evil, God has provided a remedy. For every poison, God has provided an antidote. For every false doctrine, there is truth that will expose and refute that false doctrine. It's almost as if God knew what he was doing. That all of this happened to just all work out. Thankfully, he has offered everything we need to have victory here in this life, and more importantly, victory in eternal life. And as we focus our attention on this miracle at hand here in 2 Kings chapter 4, I want you to notice, first of all, the location of the miracle. The location of the miracle. Look again at verse number 38. It says, And Elisha came again to Gilgal. Now, Gilgal is a place that has been mentioned before in the life of Elisha. And if you can remember, it was in Gilgal, two chapters prior, in chapter 2 of 2 Kings, where Elisha and Elijah 
first began their journey as they traveled to Jordan, where Elijah would be supernaturally taken to heaven. This is where Elisha's sincerity to follow in the footsteps of Elijah was first tested. For as they were preparing to leave Gilgal, we're told that Elijah said to him, Tarry here. And Elisha responded in verse 2 of 2 Kings chapter 2. He said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they left from Gilgal. The Bible says they traveled to Bethel. In Bethel, Elijah says the same thing to Elisha. Tarry here, he says. Elisha responds the same way. He says, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they left Bethel and then they went to Jericho. Same thing there. I'm not going to leave. They leave, Jericho, uh, they leave Jericho and they cross over to Jordan. But everything started there in Gilgal. And I don't know if you've caught on so far, but as we've been working our way through the life and ministry of Elisha and looking at the different miracles that he's done, it almost seems to be done in reverse order as far as geographical location is concerned. Because the first miracle of Elisha took place in Jordan where he picked up the mantle of Elijah and dropped it on the waters of the Jordan River and the river and the waters parted so he was able to pass through. The next miracle that he did it was in Jericho where he healed, where he healed those, uh, the evil waters and then so on and so forth until now we're finally back in Gilgal. You never know. You never know when an opportunity will present itself for you to be a witness to Christ. As believers, the Bible says that we need to be instant, in season and out of season. We must always be ready to tell others about our Savior. One of our memory verses a while back, I don't know how many of you would remember this, but was 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 15. Anyone remember what 1 Peter 3.15 says? Bob, I'm looking at you. You have a pretty good memory. Do you remember 1 Peter 3.15? Be ready always. Be ready always, the Bible says. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. 1 Peter 3.15. Be ready always to give an answer to every man, the Bible says, that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready always. You never know when the opportunity is going to come. It wasn't as if Elisha was told, okay, here's how it's going to work. You're going to follow Elijah all the way to Jericho, all the way to Jordan, rather, and then he's going to be taken, and then your miracles that I'm going to have you work are going to kind of go in reverse order. You're going to work your way back to Gilgal, and you're going to do this here and this there and this there, and then you're going to eventually end up back in Gilgal. He didn't tell him that. But because he was ready, in season, out of season, to minister and to serve the Lord, God worked in him. As servants of Christ... The truth is, is that we don't always know when opportunities will present themselves for us to be a witness for Christ, so we must always be ready. Wake up every morning expecting to encounter someone that needs to hear the gospel. Live your life in such a way that you don't deter someone from listening to you sharing the gospel. Be ready always and pray that God would use you to be a blessing to someone even today. Elisha was ready as he was teaching in Gilgal. So that's the location. I want you to notice, second, the occasion of the miracle. The occasion of the miracle. Look again at what it says there in verse number 38. It says, And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land, and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said unto his servants, Set on the great pot, and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophet. The land was suffering from a famine. We may not see this type of famine today, at least not here in America. We probably won't see that. 
But the famine we see here in America, I will argue that it is far worse than what they were seeing here in 2 Kings chapter 4. It's that which was threatened back in Amos chapter 8 verse 11. I want you to listen to what it says. The prophet Amos wrote in Amos 8 verse 11. He said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but listen to this, but of hearing the words of the Lord. A famine of hearing the words of the Lord. So there are countries all across this world that are dealing with physical famine. And then, then there is here, which some may argue is the greatest country in the world, that is dealing with a far worse type of famine. A famine of hearing the word of the Lord. This is no secret. But what we see is that countless places across this country that are designated as places of worship are actually social centers and social clubs. These places provide nothing for people desiring spiritual food. And even in the few that supposedly preach the word of God, it is not preached in the power and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And this is what makes this passage so relevant to us today. Elijah had gathered to teach the sons of the prophet, and they'd gathered in a time where a famine had hit the land. God was literally punishing the people. God brought the famine. It was a physical famine, but God brought the physical famine as he's punishing the people by depriving the land of that which supplied food to man for nourishment. But none of this led Elisha to stop serving God and ministering to the spiritual needs of his people. God is punishing us today here in America through a spiritual famine where people don't want to hear the word of God preached. And unfortunately, the way that many believers are, are approaching this physical or the spiritual famine is with apathy. Well, what's the point of sharing the gospel if the world doesn't want to hear it? Right? It's already clear that they don't want to hear it, so why should I? Why should I share it? Why should I tell people something that they already have expressed they don't want to hear? It's a very slippery slope from there. Because if you get on board with the mentality that no one wants to hear the gospel message, it's only a matter of time before you never see the need to be in church again or to be under the teaching of God's word for yourself at all. Right? Because why share the gospel if people don't want to hear? Why be under the teaching of the word of God if it's not going to do you any benefit because it's supposed to be sharpening and equipping your tools to go out and to be a disciple of Christ outside these walls? When it, was the, when it was first the unsaved who didn't want to hear it, now it's believers who don't want to hear it. And what an encouragement it must have been for Elisha to have the sons of the prophet sitting there before him when they could have easily been out and about scrounging for food. Right at a time when famine had hit the land and when there was real need, dire need for people to survive physically, these sons of the prophets have deemed it more worthwhile, more valuable to them to be under the teaching of God's word than to do anything other, anything else that may have also been valuable. They're under the teaching of the word of God. I can tell you something. It is a big, big encouragement to a pastor when people are in church. Not that we come to church to encourage the pastor. 
But one of the reasons we should come to church is to be a blessing to the pastor, especially if he continues laboring for the Lord during a time of spiritual famine. What I found is that in seasons of dearth, it is even more necessary to be in tune with the needs of the people, especially young believers. These are the days where they need to be instructed in holiness and in the righteousness of God the most. They need to be instructed in the seriousness of sin and its consequences and be shown the path of obedience according to the word of God. Young believers need to know that they have a refuge and a fortress in God. And this is what the prophet Elisha was doing in a time of physical famine. He was reminding these sons of the prophets that God is still on his throne and still in control. What a powerful example Elisha was setting for every person who has been called by God to proclaim his truth. There is no better time than the present to live for Christ and to serve him. Wherever God has you, I promise you, is the perfect place to serve him. Just serve him. Just serve him. You don't have to be in a specific location to serve Christ. God has you where you are right now for a reason, even if it's only for a short season. Serve him faithfully where you are and continue to do so until God moves you on, if that day does come. It may be that what you thought was going to be a short season of your life, that you're going to be here and then God's going to move you on, that God may extend it. Just keep serving him and ministering to the people that God puts around you. Elisha didn't allow his present circumstances to dictate what God had called him to do. Not even a famine was going to slow him down. He didn't say, okay, listen, guys, I know we've come here to hear from the word of God, but there are more important things to be dealing with right now. Go home, scrounge for food, feed your families, take care of them, and we can take care of this at a later time. He sat them all down. He said, everyone, come in close. Hear what the word of God has to say. And when he was done, he tells his servant, now go find them some food. Elisha didn't allow his present circumstances to dictate what God had called him to do, and neither should we. Far too many believers, believers, remain idle, telling themselves that they'll get busy serving the Lord when they feel that God has sent them where they need to be. Because for whatever reason, they've told themselves that they can only serve God in some specific location or in some specific capacity, and until they're there, then they can't really serve God. So they're going to wait around until God actually puts them where they need to be or puts them in front of who they need to be. Stop thinking about where God may send you and just start getting busy serving him where he has you. God will work out the details. Just make sure that when and if it comes that God is going to move you on, that he finds you faithfully serving him. In Proverbs 16, verse 3, and this is a verse that may appear as a memory verse. But it should be a memory verse anyways. If you highlight, if you underline, Proverbs 16, 3. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Don't worry about anything else other than serving the Lord where you are. It's been said that idle hands are the devil's workshop. Stay busy in the service of Christ and soak up everything you can when the word of God is preached. 
the occasion of the miracle. And notice third, the beneficiaries of the miracle. The beneficiaries of the miracle. Look again at verses 38 and 39. And Elisha came to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said unto his servants, Set on the great pot, and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out into the field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine, and gathered therefore wild gourds his lap full, and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. The beneficiaries of the miracle. Elisha made a point of tending to the spiritual needs of these men without neglecting their physical needs. He knew what they needed, and they made sure, he made sure that they would also have a decent meal. We don't know a whole lot about this one who went out to find this food and gathered the herbs, but his intention, we believe, was at least good. And this is a clear case where having good intentions doesn't mean that we should be doing something or that we're doing something good. It's possible that this guy was thrilled when he found so much of these wild vines. It says he had a lap full. He's probably thrilled. In a time of famine, he's thinking, what are the chances? I struck gold. I found a treasure trove that no one else has found. And so he, he's probably, you know, just beaming, smile from ear to ear with how much he's just found. He probably took it as a sign from God that he was doing something good. And if so, we have a warning of how easily we can misinterpret God's providence when we're acting in self-will and try to justify what we're doing based on how much we're able to do and how much we're able to collect. It makes it harder in time of famine because food is scarce, and this man surely thought that it was a blessing, that God was blessing him with the amount of food that he found. But we must still be so careful and use discernment. Just because there are few churches that are preaching the uncompromising truth of God's word doesn't mean that we should settle for something that sounds good and closely resembles truth. Just as there was a surplus of those wild gourds, the Bible says, Satan sees to it that there is a surplus of false teaching out there, camouflaged to look and sound just like the word of God. We're warned of this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 13 through 15, 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15, the Bible says, For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. The Bible very clearly teaches that Satan is deceptive enough to know where he can present his message so well that people actually think they're hearing the word of God. Satan doesn't have to go and rewrite the Bible, folks. He doesn't have to go and rewrite the Bible. He just has to make a few subtle tweaks here and there. And unless you really know Scripture, it's going to sound right. It's going to make sense. When the man who had gathered the wild herbs starting adding everything to the pot... How many people objected? How many people said, what are you doing? Don't you know that this is no good, that these are poisonous plants? Not a single person objected. You know why? Because it looked just like the real thing. It looked just like the real thing. And these men weren't educated enough to spot a fake when they saw it. And this is why we're told in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, it says, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. I'm going to say something that maybe a lot of pastors won't say. 
don't take what I have to say as truth just because I'm standing behind this pulpit and because I have pastor in front of my name. Don't take what I have to say as truth, but go and compare it with scripture because I am fallible just like anyone else. The same is true for any preacher that you hear in any church, on TV, or on the radio. Don't take whatever they have to say as absolute truth. You go and you compare it to scripture. And if it doesn't compare to scripture, if anything I preach doesn't compare to scripture, have some stones ready, and I will urge you to throw them. Throw me out. Because if I start preaching anything that doesn't align with God's word, I have no business standing behind this pulpit. And you have no business allowing me to be here. Notice third, fourth, sorry. The necessity of the miracle. The necessity of the miracle. Look at verse number 40. So they poured out for the men to eat. And it came to pass as they were eating of the potters that they cried out and said, Oh, thou man of God, there is death in the pot and they could not eat thereof. Ideally, you would hope that you'd find out something bad before it's too late. Certainly before you're eating it. But nothing about this looked suspicious. This is why it's so important to do as the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. So here are men that hear the preaching of the Apostle Paul. And we're told of them in verse 11 of Acts chapter 17. It says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. They did this under the preaching of the apostle Paul. He's written half of the New Testament for crying out loud after hearing me preach or anyone else preach today, we should all be living in God's word. Search it daily. After we're done, you should go home and put 2 Kings chapter 4 under a microscope. Not that I'm trying to deceive you in any way, but why would you even be able to, or would you even be able to detect truth from error if I did try to deceive you. Now, th those who are sitting under the preaching of God's word in theory should have more spiritual discernment than anyone else. So take heed what you hear and what you read. The necessity of the miracle. Notice fifth, the nature of the miracle. Verse number 40 again. So they poured out for, them, for the men to eat and it came to pass as they were eating of the pottage, they cried out and said, O thou man, man of God, there is death in the pot and they could not eat thereof. We're not exactly sure what made them aware of the trouble. The same is true with believers not always being aware of God's providential hand, turning them away from being deceived. Truly, every believer has cause to say, as the Apostle Paul did in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 10, where he said, Who hath delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us? We don't even realize how much God providentially intervenes and spares us. Certainly, God used Elisha to deliver the sons of the prophet from that pot of death, regardless of what it was that tipped him off, that there was death in the pot. And notice sixth, the means of the miracle. Verse number 41, the means of the miracle. But he said, then bring meal. And he cast it into the pot, and he said, pour out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. 
meal was flour, which has no miraculous qualities to it to counteract poisonous herbs. What's often missed in this is that God had blessed them enough in a time of dearth to still have meal available. They're in a time of famine, and he says, bring some meal. And of course they have it on hand. What a blessing that was, to have that on hand when there's hardly any food available. Think about the famine that we're dealing with today, a famine of hearing the word of God, and yet thankfully, we still have the word of God. How much of a blessing is that? It's a tremendous blessing. People don't want to hear it, but it's still there, and it's still available for people to have it and to hear it. We have Bibles that are collecting dust on our bookshelves. Charles Spurgeon said that plenty of us have Bibles enough and dust enough on those Bibles to write eternal damnation on in the dust. What a scary thought. But praise the Lord that we still have his word, even in a time of spiritual famine. Praise the Lord that he still speaks to us through his word, even though many people don't want to hear it. And praise the Lord that we can still increase in the knowledge of God through his word, even though many don't want it for themselves. God uses his word to transform lives today, and he, just as he used the meal to transform the pottage with Elisha. And notice finally, number seven, the meaning of the miracle. What did this all mean? Look back at verse number 38. And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was dearth in the land, and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said unto his servants, Set on the great pot and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. During a time of famine, these men were sitting at the feet of the man of God. During a time of spiritual famine, don't ever underestimate the importance of being in church and being under the preaching of God's word. By all means, keep searching the scripture. Keep holding fast to that which is true. But as the word of God is presented, let your souls feast on it. Let your souls feast on it. As you feast on God's word, take time to then pour into the lives of young believers that God has put around you. Educate them in the truth. Show them how they can grow in maturity and in the faith. The Christian life is always going to be hard. No one said it was going to be easy, and if they did, they're lying to you. It's always going to be hard. You're going to face many troubles, but keep trusting in God because the one who is faithful to bring you to where you are today is the one who is faithfully still going to deliver you and protect you and is protecting you in ways in which you may not even see. Keep trusting in him. Make God's word your daily guide and you'll be sure to be delivered from the troubles that surround you. Would you bow with me in prayer this morning? Lord, as we come before you, we know that so much more can be said about your providence. We know, Lord, that we have barely scratched the surface of what you're doing in our lives, not just day to day, but moment by moment. But Lord, right now we turn to you and we just say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for inclining your ear to hear us when we cry out to you. Thank you, Lord, that your arm is not shortened, that it cannot reach us when we're in our need. Thank you, Lord, that you have first loved us. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies and compassions which fail not, but are indeed renewed every morning. Thank you for your providence. Thank you for interacting in our lives day to day, for allowing us to be here, 
and to be under the teaching of your word. And Lord, may we learn to live for you in a way, Lord, in which we previously have not learned, in a way, Lord, that constantly serves as a beacon of light to the ones that you have placed in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen.